Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensa, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensa is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Shall we start with a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, we thank you once again for the opportunity to examine faith, hope, and love. As we plow through the scriptures, Holy Spirit, open our minds, give us understanding, cause us to flow with you in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week we began the introductory session on faith. And I tried to explain why faith is critical in the life of the Christian. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, the scripture says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And I also explained that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And it is Important Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says the just shall live by faith. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. So no matter how just you are, you live by faith. The whole Christian life is by faith. We walk by faith. We stand by faith. We are grounded by faith. We live in faith we are justified by faith we are sanctified by faith and our glorification is by faith we are saved by faith therefore no Christian can afford to joke with faith in your Christian walk today I want us to tackle the elements of faith, the friends of faith, and the enemies of faith. First of all, let's tackle the elements of faith. You can see from the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels that Jesus was very conscious of faith. Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, he told the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has made you whole. The two blind men who followed him, Matthew 9, 29, 
He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Then, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, he said of the centurion, that I have never seen such great faith in Israel. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, he told the Sulphonician woman, great is your faith. But he also criticized Thomas for unbelief. And he reprimanded him and those who did not believe in his resurrection. So also, he called those who were anxious about what to eat, what to drink, in Matthew 6, from verse 34, no, 25, all the way to 34. He was saying, they are, you are of little faith. So, Jesus is very conscious of the kind of faith that a person has. So it is good to take a longer look at faith. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. The Bible says God has measured to each man a, a, a certain size, a measure of faith. So every Christian has an initial deposit of faith. No Christian should say, for me I don't have any faith. No. God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. Number two, in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That means you can increase the amount of faith you have by mastering the word of God and taking hold of its conviction. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3, we are told that faith grows. Faith grows. You can grow your faith. Now these three points are important. Because the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not said. When we talk about assurance, what are we talking about? It's a Greek word which is packed from a foundation, a substructure, hypostasis. Hypo means under, something under. And stasis is from his stasis. It means to stand. So, basically, it's used of the, the substructure, the foundation, the underlying structure of a building or of a, a, anything which is standing. So, Faith is described as an assurance or a title deed of things hoped for. Now, when you have a building or a property, like a piece of land, the receipt 
signed by the owners is what gives you assurance that the piece of land is yours or the machine, the car is yours. The receipt actually is not the land, it's not the car, but it is the assurance, it is the, as it were, substructure which gives you proof. You see? So, Bible is saying that faith is a title deed, a receipt, or something to give you assurance of the things you are hoping for, even though you haven't seen it with your eyes. Then, it gives us another synonym. It says it's a conviction of things not seen. It's also another Greek word, elenkos. Elenkos is used of the Holy Spirit's conviction in John chapter 16 from verse 8 to 11. It is a deep-seated assurance or a pricking in the heart which gives you a certainty, a warranty, that even though you don't see the thing, you have it. Or it, it exists and you have enough confidence that you are not deceiving yourself. So, faith is a title deed. It's a conviction of things hoped for. Of things not seen. It is because of this definition that we talk about the enemies of faith and the friends of faith. Because we we can look at which things fight against faith. I will tell you one more story about our faith for finances. When I had to go to Mauritania, we finally found a school for our kids. Our three kids were going to school in Senegal. And each of them was paying about a thousand dollars. That meant three thousand dollars for each year. Now, my whole family was taking a salary of five hundred dollars a month. Therefore, when they admitted the children, and asked us to report, we were to come with $3,000. And I was frantic. We prayed, we fasted, but I decided that no, I had to rush to our headquarters office in Ghana to take some money 
and I wanted six months advance because if we pay the school fees, what after what we will eat, the Lord will provide. So I rushed, got the three thousand dollars. But when I got back to Mauritania, we prayed and fasted, and the night before we left for Mauritania. I was scrolling through my email and here was this email from an American I had never met and he was sending us $3,000. I was so excited, I went and woke up my wife in the middle of the night saying, come, come and see something. So that was how God provided the first year of school fees. Then, the second year came. The second year of school fees, I went to Australia and I preached in over 50 meetings. Went to New Zealand and preached and came back. My last church in which I preached, after the sermon, the pastor and elders called me and said, you know, this check is for you and your family. You are not giving it to your organization. And they signed it. And when I took it, it was $3,000. So, the second year, school fees were 100 Then the final year, we went to the bank and there was $3,000 sitting in our bank account. I rang Ghana and asked, did you send us some money? They said, no, we didn't, but you keep using it. We will check out. Long story short, the international chairman of our organization was leaving office and he had some $3,000 left he didn't know where to send it, so he decided to send it to us in Mauritania within, without even bothering to tell us or the Ghana office about it. That was how we paid $3,000 every year for school fees during the period we were in Mauritania. God is able. Anyway, so let's talk about, first of all, the enemies of faith. Let me rush through them. They are basically seven. Number one is what we call mental ascent. Mental ascent is hearing, because Romans 10 17 says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hearing the word of God but refusing to take action. You hear, you agree, but you don't act. So James chapter 2 verse 26 says, faith without works is dead. And James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you believe there is one God. You do well. But even the demons believe that and they shudder, they tremble. So, when you hear the word of God and you do nothing about it, 
is called mental passive. It, be, it is an enemy of faith because you gradually become used to that word of God and it no longer affects your life. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says that good news came to them just as it has come to us. But it did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. For example, 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says, Little children, you are of God. You have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You say, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, in fact, I memorized that verse when I was in Sunday school. And I said, oh yeah, yeah, I know that verse, yes. But it leaves you unmoved. You are still the same. You have First John 4, 4, which says you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But you still fear cockroaches? You fear darkness? You fear heights? You, 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 you have the word of God, but it's a mental asset. You do absolutely nothing about it. The second enemy of faith is unbelief. Unbelief says, I don't believe, I won't believe. No matter how much evidence you supply for a man of unbelief, he is not changed. He does not believe. So Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 say that when Jesus got to his own hometown, he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. And Jesus marveled greatly. Unbelief says, I don't believe. Now, there are so many classic examples of unbelief in the Bible. Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, refused to believe the angel, Gabriel, who told him that he would have a son. So the angel struck him down until the boy was born and the day he was being named, when he wrote on his slate that his name is John, his tongue was loosened. Another sad case is the set that left Egypt among the Israelites. 603,550 soldiers in the wilderness for 40 years they ate manna, God broke the Red Sea, they drank water from the rock, but when they sent spies to spy the promised land and the spies came back and reported how giants and walled cities and tough men were in Canaan so that they were like grasshoppers. Every one of them had all night weeping session. They said, ah, God has brought us out of Egypt so that he will destroy us. And God waited for them and swore by himself that I will do to you what you have said in my hearing. All of you who say you will not be able to go to Canaan, you will die in this land. 
40 years one day for every year you will waste in this wilderness because of your unbelief except for Joshua and Caleb so that's what has happened only Joshua and Caleb out of 603,550 soldiers only Joshua and Caleb could enter the promised land because they believed God wholeheartedly they said we are able to go their defense is gone the people are bred for us the Lord is with us he will take us and we shall conquer them let's go and the people spoke of stoning them but God helped God honored their faith and because of their unbelief he punished those Israelites the rest of the stories are too painful even to talk about look at Moses God told him to speak to the rock this time and he struck it twice and God said you didn't glorify me it's unbelief and because of that you won't enter Canaan so Moses could not enter Canaan because of unbelief then there is a classic story in 2 Kings chapter 7 of the captain on whose arm the king leaned when uh, Elisha prophesied that after this famine when women formed cooperatives to be boiling their children and eating that the next day food was going to be plenty at the gate of Samaria uh, the captain said even if God were to open windows in heaven how can this thing happen so Elisha the man of God told him you will see it with your eyes but you will not taste of it and that was exactly what happened the next day through the instrumentality of four lepers they went to the camp and found the Syrians gone they had fled and so the captain on whose arm the king leaned was asked to supervise the hungry people as they opened the gates for them to go and loot the camps of the Syrians and they trampled the captain underfoot and he died he saw the breakthrough God's word coming to pass but because of unbelief he did not enjoy it now these accounts in the Bible show that unbelief is a real enemy of faith number three doubt doubt says God will give it to me God will not give it to me I'm sure I will receive it I'm, I'm not sure I will receive the answer doubt means you are just not sure James chapter 1 from verse 5 to 8 says if any man lacks wisdom let him ask God he gives freely and he does not punish or upbraid and let him ask in faith nothing doubting because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro let not that man think he can receive anything from the Lord and a, a doubter is unstable in all his ways so doubt means you are just not sure 
Today, God will heal me. Tomorrow, God will heal me. Today, God will bless me. The next day, I'm not sure God will bless me. You are just not sure. Doubt. Then number four, enemy of faith is fear. Fear is the exact opposite of faith. Fear says, I know God will fail, fail me. I know God will be unfaithful to me. I know God will not honor his promise. And I know that this challenge, when it comes upon me, God is going to abandon me. I am very sure that something very bad is going to happen to me. I am sure. So, fear kicks out faith. Just like faith also kicks out fear. So, anytime you are afraid, you need to go and hide somewhere. Because Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 8 says God doesn't use fearful people in his army. Because fear and timidity is an anointing. It spreads on other people. When you are afraid, you begin to make others too afraid. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, of love and of a sound mind. And Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says, We have not received a spirit of slavery and bondage to fear, but of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. We are children of God. And we call God, Abba, Father. So, whenever you are afraid, you need to pray about it. You need to watch because fear itself paralyzes you. Fear makes it so that you cannot think straight. Fear comes as a, 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 a barrier between you and God's help. Fear pushes out faith. It's an enemy of faith. Then, number five is ignorance. The fifth enemy of faith is ignorance of the promises of God. Ignorance of the word of God. Ignorance of the covenant of God. Ignorance of, you know, things which God has guaranteed and assured us. As long as you don't know you cannot exercise faith. You cannot take hold of God with confidence because you do not know. You see? So, the way to solve the problem of ignorance is to inform yourself about the promises of God in the Bible. Read the scriptures and come across the truths that are presented. And then, the sixth enemy of faith is sin. Sin dismantles our confidence. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 says that 
The wicked man flees when no one is chasing him. But the righteous man is as bold as a lion. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 and 22, the Bible says that if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows what is in our heart. But if our heart does not condemn us, we have boldness, we have confidence before God. And faith is trust which gives us boldness, confidence. When you draw near to God and you are bold, you can take hold of God. Moses took hold of God in Exodus 32 and said, what you are going to do is not correct. No. Stop that. Do you remember you promised to Abraham that you will send his children to the promised land? All the nations will hear and say that you were not able to, to, to send them. So what you have planned to do is not... No, 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 no. He boldly took hold of God. Look at Elijah in First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He said it will not rain or dew that will dew fall until I come and speak again. And he locked heaven for three and a half years and put the key in his back pocket and was moving around. Faith needs confidence, boldness. As long as you are sinning and living in sin and wickedness and disobedience, your conscience condemns you. Your heart begins to condemn you. So when you draw near to God, there's no faith to take hold of Him. There's no boldness to take hold of Him. You see? This is why uh, Romans chapter 16 verse 26 and Romans chapter 1 verse 5 talks about obedience of faith. Faith carries with it a certain level of obedience which gives you confidence with God. Boldness to take hold of God. To draw near to God. And the last enemy of faith that I want to mention is what we normally call presumption. Presumption. Presumption is daring to act on something which God hasn't promised. God hasn't promised. And then you are boldly taking hold of it. When we were uh, much younger, one of our children used to play that game on my wife. Whenever my wife came back from the market, uh, he would say, Mommy, you promised that you buy me some biscuits. And the mother would say, When did I say that? Did I ever promise you? No, no, no. I never promised you any biscuit. So, presumption is walking on promises God never gave you. Acting on your own hunch. You see, you write your own question paper, uh, what? Question in the exam and answer it for yourself. And the examiner never asked that question. So, it is the seventh enemy of faith. 
Now we have examined these enemies and mental assent, unbelief, doubt, fear, ignorance, sin, and presumption. These you must work against them because they are real enemies and they destroy faith. So let's spend the rest of the time looking at the friends of faith. What things cause faith to, to, to spark, to grow, and to become stronger? I want to begin, first of all, with the trustworthiness of God. In Hebrews chapter 6, from verse 13 to 18, the Bible says that when God gave a promise to Abraham, he interposed with an oath. He swore. Genesis 22, from verse 15, he said, By myself, I swear that in blessing I will bless you. And the writer of Hebrews explains that when men are arguing, an oath is final. When one party says, I swear, then the person has nothing else to say. So God, in trying to make Abraham sure, he swore. But not only that, Men swear by a greater than themselves. For example, in Ghana, if you want to swear and make the oath valid, you say, I swear by Asante in his truth. I swear by this dogby or Yana. Then people respect the oath. So God too, when he looked left and right, he looked up and down. There was no one bigger than himself. So he said, I swear by myself. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have come to take refuge and seek salvation will have confidence as the anchor of our soul. I find this passage very exciting. He is saying that God wants to give assurance to us. He wants to make us doubly certain that He will not deceive us. He wants to give an anchor to our soul. So when He gave the promise to Abraham, He swore by Himself. This means that the whole old covenant is based upon the oath of God. Not only that, <clears throat> the priesthood of Jesus is by oath. Psalm 110 verse 4. He says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is the priesthood of Jesus. 
is upon hope. Deadly, the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, is what was used to sign the new covenant. Matthew 26, from verse 26 to 28, when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper, he said, This is the blood of the new covenant. In the blood, this, the new covenant, in my blood. The, the, the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, is what was used to sign the new covenant. And the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is proof that God has accepted the, 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 the work of Jesus. Therefore, God's unchangeable, immutable, Faithful, ever standing truth is reliable. The word of God is reliable. The word of God is reliable. The word of God is reliable. God's word is strong enough for you to stand upon it. Numbers 23 19. God is not a man to lie or the son of man to repent. Has he said it? Will he not do it? Has he spoken? Will he not bring it to pass? Titus chapter 1 verse 2 God that cannot lie. In the Hebrews 6 18 That by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So men are so used to dishonesty. We are so used to lying. We see people who are deceiving us Every day. So we, we are tempted to think that God too can double deal us. But the scripture puts God's word as final. Jesus said in Matthew 24:35, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 19, that till heaven and earth pass, no title or jot iota will pass from the law and the prophets until all are fulfilled. John 10, 35, Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. And in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, he said that if we do not believe the prophets, Moses and the prophets, even if somebody rises from the dead, that evidence cannot help us. Paul says in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, that even if we or an angel from heaven should come and preach another gospel, let him be accursed. Because the, the word of God is stronger than any angel and revelation that even the people who wrote the Bible because the Bible is bigger than them the reliability of God the trustworthy of God the throne of God is behind the scripture therefore you can depend on it any day and build faith on it build trust 
in the words of God. I'm not only talking about promises, I'm coming to that. But I mean the warnings of God in the Bible. You see, the commandments, the statutes, the laws, the testimonies in the scripture, the whole range of God and His word can be trusted. Number two, the second friend of faith is the promises of God. The Bible has over 8,000 promises. And these promises, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, they are exceedingly great and precious promises so that by them we shall become partakers of the divine nature. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says these promises in themselves are strong enough for us to cleanse our lives from every defilement of flesh and spirit and perfect holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20-21 says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means you need to sit down to take the promises of God one by one, memorize them and let them sit in your spirit. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 he says that, let your mind be free from the love of man and be content with what you have. Because he has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. He has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I love First Corinthians 10, 13 told my wife if I should die before she dies she should just write that verse on my tombstone because it has been the promise I have held for over 40 years now it says no temptation has ever overtaken you but such as is common to man God is faithful God is faithful God is faithful God is faithful he will never let you be tempted beyond your strength but with the temptation, he will give you a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. You can bear it. The scripture promises that no temptation will ever overtake me but such as is common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will never let me be tempted beyond my strength. God will never let me be tempted beyond my strength. God will never, never let me be tempted beyond my strength. 
God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And so, the promises of God in the Bible are gold mines. They are treasures for your life. But the third friend of faith I want to hammer is the confession of your mouth. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Because with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So Proverbs 18, 20-21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So, if you really believe something, you confess, you say it with your mouth. 2 Corinthians 4.13 He says, we believed, therefore we spoke. In the same way, your mouth is your faith speaking. Therefore, if you believe God, and you believe the promises of God, and there is a conviction, then it affects the way you speak. It affects the types of things you confess. It affects the things you say. You speak faith because you believe. And if you believe what God has said, what God has done, what God says about you, what God says about himself, you tend to speak differently from other people. These are the three most important friends of faith. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this session also. Analyzing for us the elements of faith the enemies of faith and the friends of faith. I pray that gradually you begin to wake up your children to a life of faith to please you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.